0: Hello, and welcome to Over the Counter, the podcast from Drug Topics. This episode is brought to you in part by American Associated Pharmacies. AAP is a nationwide cooperative of more than 2,000 independent pharmacies operating since 2009 as one of America's largest and most comprehensive independent pharmacy organizations. AAP is governed by a board of directors elected from its membership, real independent pharmacy owners facing the same industry challenges as member pharmacies. The company serves as a partner, advocate, and collaborator to bring innovative and cost-saving programs to its members. AAP is member-focused, driven by integrity and loyalty to the independent pharmacy industry. Learn more today at rxaap.com. Today, I am joined by John Copeland, CEO and President of AAP. John, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Gabrielle. Thank you to Drug Topics for the opportunity.
0: So, in this episode, John will be discussing key industry trends, including digital health, the Amazon effect, PBM accountability, and pharmacy cooperatives. Before we get started on our topics today, John, can you speak a bit to your professional background and the mission of AAP?
1: Gabriel, absolutely. I've literally been involved in and around independent pharmacy my entire life. I recall one of my brother's favorite pictures of me was when I was like a couple of years old. I had put on a pair of my dad's old Buddy Holly uh, like black corn rim glasses and was leaned over the top of one of these old timey push button cash registers. And uh, you know, the kind that had the numbers that showed up on the top behind the glass. Well, my favorite part of that whole thing was when you finished the sale, you would push a big black button and it'd go ding and out would come the cash register drawer and show you all the money that you had made for the day. So I guess back then it it was as it is today. I really just love figuring out how to make that bell ring and make money for the independent pharmacies. My uncle was an independent pharmacy owner. He got up to like 38 pharmacy locations. My dad was an independent pharmacy owner. He followed after Big Brother's lead And I literally grew up doing all kinds of work around the pharmacy from the time I was about 10 years old, cleaning shelves, taking out the trash, then on to doing cashier work and finally pharmacy tech work. I adopted that same passion when I graduated from Auburn School of Pharmacy and I joined the workforce at my dad's pharmacy and also working in a friend of ours pharmacy. But I had started a distribution company when I was in college. And I continued that work when I came out and worked in the pharmacy. Eventually that passion for wholesaling and doing distribution took over the clinical aspect of it. And I moved into that side of the business, running my own company for a couple of years. And then later on, I joined my father at the independent pharmacy cooperative. He had started in 1987, which is called API. My primary focus on joining API was to get us involved in the generic pharmaceutical business and doing distribution for that. And I can tell you, it was quite a, a really tight knit community, it was hard for us to break into. But after a couple of years of efforts and, and working through and networking, I was successful in getting us involved in the generic manufacturer community. I expanded my career from there and went into operational management, then general management. And then finally, I took over as CEO for API in 2004. And most recently, uh, in 2009, we created AAP, the company I'm currently working with now, by the uh, merging of United Drugs, which was a Phoenix, Arizona-based cooperative. And uh, as far as the mission, Gabrielle, it's, it's really simple. Our focal point is the independent pharmacies. We do everything that we can do to help them enhance their profitability, streamline their operations, and improve the quality of patient care.
0: Awesome. Thank you for that background and really impressive background, especially starting so early in your career. So let's dive right in. So in the past year, customers have come to somewhat rely on technology for products that they need and for communication as well. Um, and healthcare obviously is no exception. Can you walk us through these digital trends?
1: Yes, I would be happy to make some comments uh, on that related to the feedback I've received from the pharmacies. I think most critical it seems right now the patients are interested in minimizing the human contact and accelerating the speed of any physical transactions they do in the stores. In other words, we've seen at our pharmacies, they report their front end sales being down as any patients that are physically coming into the pharmacies are more inclined to not shop, but just stand there, wait for their prescriptions and then leave as soon as they're completed. That said, there has been a sizable increase in the transactions that actually occur outside of the pharmacy. We've seen a a significant increase in the number of transactions done via the drive throughs either curbside or or parking lot uh, deliveries, and even mailing of the prescriptions has increased significantly. Another interesting thing, Gabrielle, they've talked about is the number of transactions that occur hands-free. So essentially they're running credit cards without swiping them and things of that nature. The digital availability especially related to refill requests of the pharmacies is absolutely critical whether utilizing pharmacy apps with two-way communication websites pharmacy ivrs and a host of other electronic means of communication the bottom line is the digital availability of the pharmacy is a must and then the last part i'll say is is and i'm sure your listeners and, and the people are aware of it but the telemedicine has dramatically increased. I've seen reports seeing as much as 40% growth uh, since this COVID transaction or COVID situation has occurred.
0: And with these changes, independent community pharmacists need to be flexible and innovative in their business practices. What tools can pharmacists use to help rise to the demand for digital offerings?
1: Gabrielle, that's a really great question. I'd like to break it into two parts. Uh, First, let's discuss some of the tools related to the interactions with the patients. And then second, discuss some of the tools related to interactions with the vendors and the suppliers. You know, the offering of the functional and interactive websites, uh, maybe two-way texting was a great part of that, Uh, interactive phone apps. There's an ever-growing need and importance for the pharmacies to get their hands around utilizing the patient information to the benefit of the patient. Uh, Programs like medication synchronization, Uh, effective refill management, the timeliness of refills, um, doing companion product recommendations and a host of other pharmacy beneficial uses of that prescription data. Uh, We have a tool that we created in partnership with FDS. We call it ProfitAmp and it goes a, a real long way to helping the pharmacy utilize their information in a very efficient manner to improve the quality of patient care and enhance their profitability. Additionally, I see that pharmacies offering COVID testing and the upcoming vaccinations. They're going to need to find an efficient patient-friendly digitalized service or system for that testing and vaccination scheduling and billing that they may not have today. That's not all encompassing, but it definitely provides some insight into the patient pharmacy tool part of the answer. On the pharmacy supplier side, I'll just mention two tools. One's related to efficient order entry and inventory supply tools, needs to take a lot of the burden out of the order of replenishment and get away from the days of the old want book. We have a, a proprietary app that we had created that works on iOS or Android. We call it Scan and Toss, that goes a long way to helping them in that in that situation. And then the other thing is related to what we're doing here today. Uh, you know, Really increasing the communication, whether it be through a, a lot of video chatting, is occurring between the pharmacies and outside the supply world. Uh, Initially, it was a little cumbersome for us (laughs) as an organization. It probably was for a lot of us that were really coming into the COVID world that weren't accustomed to it. But I can tell you, we have really found ways to make it more efficient uh, utilization of our time and the pharmacy's time. So I would encourage the pharmacies if they're not really up to speed on the video chatting and and video uh, engagement to to really get a handle on that.
0: So with these new changes and new opportunities for independent community pharmacies, there will also be new challenges, Amazon's most recent pharmacy offerings being one of them. Um, And many are apprehensive about the impact of Amazon pharmacy on independent pharmacies. So far, how have independents been impacted if they have been from what you've seen?
1: Sure, from From my perspective, Gabrielle, the, the impact of date's been minimal, uh, but that company has proven to be a formidable disruptor in established markets. So when you go back and look at the, the pill pack uh, company that they, they acquired, that individualized dosing technology that they purchased wasn't anything that our members hadn't already been doing for years. Although I would say we've seen an increase in the pharmacies that are starting to utilize that technology. Um, But I do think the pharmacies need to examine what they do best and amplify that and what Amazon could likely do best and attempt to counter it. At the end of the day, they are a proven mega market cap company with a history of maximizing efficient transactions through a digital format. And one must be respectful of the competition that they can bring.
0: So then can you offer a little advice to independents to be able to effectively compete with these larger change in online services?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's along the lines of my previous comment. The pharmacies really need to examine what they do best and amplify that and what Amazon could likely do best and attempt to counter that. So I'll just make a couple of points and these aren't all inclusive along this lines, but the pharmacy owners, or the independent pharmacy owners are typically very engaged and very strong uh, contributors within their neighborhood, town, or the local city district in which they operate. So I think they should amplify that. And like many of us, independent pharmacists, myself included, resist and ignore any introverted tendencies and expand your presence within your marketplace to be known individually by the community. This local engagement is something that the big boxes of the mail really can't replicate. Offer personalized services that maximizes the care of the patients. It helps when the pharmacy recognizes the patients by name, when they're coming in the door, moving through the drive-through. Get your staff to mirror that friendliness and engagement. We see many of our pharmacies being that local celebrity provider or that destination pharmacy where they are excelling in, in a focused service like maybe fertility or an HIV focused provider. And they, and or they're expanding their services where they may be offering in-store vaccinations, health screenings, patient education initiatives, uh, and expand their, generally expand their community visibility and partnerships. Ultimately, they are known as an engaged local destination of health information and care, and not just a pharmacy. We encourage our pharmacies to improve or enhance their convenience and efficiency factor and their online presence through multiple digital formats including highly active, engaging social media platforms. This is where I think Amazon will likely focus, but as I've told many of our members, when it comes to predicting the future, my crystal ball has many cracks in it.
0: And another major sticking point for independent community pharmacies are PBMs and reimbursement. Um, For example, in a survey conducted by drug topics of nearly 100 respondents, 87% said that their pharmacy has been negatively impacted by below cost PBM reimbursements. So why is vertical consolidation of PBMs and health plans having such a negative impact on the industry and what can we do about it?
1: I've been severely disappointed by the lack of government oversight for these consolidations. This just allows the fulfillment of the golden rule. And I'm not talking about the religious based golden rule but the one that says those with the gold rule, that's the one I'm talking about. And they definitely have the gold. It was very much like this before the consolidations, and it's only gotten worse since they occurred. I'm very much concerned about the current healthcare reimbursement mechanisms that are dictated by the PBMs. There are major flaws with the system that's being utilized today. First, and just the actual operational processes, and second, in the sustainability of the reimbursement rates for the pharmacies. For starters, let's discuss the illogical operational mechanisms utilized. And I do mean illogical. If you go back and look at the way the process works, a PBM establishes a pharmacy network by offering the terms and conditions to potential pharmacy providers that they typically leave little to no room for true negotiation. And often, it's much more of a take it or leave it offering. Next, let's discuss the fact that the PBM typically has multiple networks with different terms and conditions. They offer these multiple networks out to their clients and then the client chooses the network often guided by the PBM or a broker. To my knowledge, the PBM is the only one that really knows what patient belongs to what network. So for example, when Ms. Jones comes to the pharmacy, The pharmacy only knows what to charge Ms. Jones, and by the way, what they get paid, after they submit a claim It is processed by the PBM and then is relayed back via the computer to the pharmacy. As messed up as this is, because the pharmacy can't actually validate that they are being paid correctly according to the network rates because they don't know what network the patient was in They can only tell if they weren't paid according to one of the network rates that they signed up for. And this doesn't even take into account the generic pharmaceuticals, which are sold at a rate only the PBM establishes, called a MAC, and it uses confidential proprietary processes. And the PBM typically will not share that information with the pharmacy, but only at the time that the prescription is processed. Now, As bad as that is from a business perspective, the fact that the pharmacy does not have any true mechanism to validate the amount that they are being reimbursed, other than what amount was adjudicated back to them from the PBM, telling them what they would be paid, then the PBM began taking reductions against these amounts that they said they were going to pay. First, it involved things they would call audits. Then comes DIRs. And now there's even contracts in place that utilize effective rate terms. And these can take reductions or deductions against the amounts that the pharmacies were understanding that they were gonna get paid many months or even up to a year later. Can you imagine any other type of business where the provider agrees to get paid what the person said they were going to pay minus whatever deductions the payer chose to make after the transaction occurred This is totally illogical. How in any logical world would a business ever know what they were making or losing in this type of scenario? I tell you, they do not until months after the prescriptions are actually dispensed. And if they were sold below the pharmacy's cost, and in many cases they are, well, the PBM says, yeah, that's too bad. I hate it for you. Which brings me to the second part of this system, being sustainable. And this will ultimately, in my opinion, Mm -hmm kill its provider network if it's not resolved.
0: So then how is the current pricing model impacting longer term sustainability among independent pharmacies and what's the solution?
1: So as even as bad as that system was that I just described, there's another component that is like a house of cards lying underneath it. It's related to the brand pharmaceuticals. Several years ago, brand pharmaceuticals were sold by wholesalers based on the wholesalers brand RX profitability and generic pharmaceuticals were sold based upon the wholesaler's generic pharmaceutical profitability. Well, somewhere along the way, they were started to get blended, and the wholesaler would use profit margins gained from other segments of the business to supplement the brand pharmaceutical, what's known as whack minus pricing, and in some cases to sell even below their actual cost of the product being acquired from the manufacturer. Today, a wholesaler will typically require a specific amount of generic pharmaceutical products to be acquired to gain a marketable cost less or whack minus pricing on brand pharmaceuticals. Now the real problem with this in the reimbursement rate is the reimbursement rates from the PBMs are now requiring this supplemented or false cost less pricing for the pharmacy to be able to break even or even in a lot of cases, we only lose a little bit of money when they dispense the brand. If a pharmacy wanted to test this theory, I would encourage them to approach their primary wholesaler and ask them what WAC minus pricing would be available across all of my branded pharmaceutical purchases. You can't include any type of specialty uh, or special net discounting. All brands have to be priced the same WAC minus. And I'm not going to purchase one package of any generic pharmaceutical product. I expect the cost last number or the whack minus number the pharmacy will receive is significantly more costly than the pharmacy is paying today. And will most likely be more costly than the majority of the AWP minus contracts that they or their PSAO has executed for them. So what happens when and if this house of cards falls and the wholesaler either does not have the ability nor the desire to utilize the current pricing model? being utilized for brand pharmaceuticals today well if those are the issues then what are the solutions gabriel i think it starts with an education and an understanding by the pharmacies then the pharmacies start aligning with those that also understand this and can work to find a sustainable solution i was glad to see that ncpa took the initiative of filing a lawsuit here recently to bring about the dir issues to a boiling point to attempt to resolve this from a judicial perspective as regrettably business contracting negotiation and legislative attempts have been very unsuccessful in the past. I believe this is an industry-wide issue that will require the efforts of many involved in the industry to work to collaboratively resolve it. Including the PBM and the health plans.
0: And in fact, the Supreme Court has recently given its ruling on Rutledge versus PCMA, um, where Arkansas is able to impose regulations on PBM's reimbursement rates. How big of a win was this case for pharmacy? Um, what are the limitations that you do see? Um, and do you see it being a precedent for other states as well?
1: Gabrielle, you, you know, emotionally, it was huge. It's a huge win. After many years of feeling beat down, I think it's yet to be determined realistically how this plays out across the many states. And to my previous point, hopefully it starts a real dialogue to resolving the issues within the industry, between the providers and the PVM. And I hope it doesn't just amplify what has been a completely adversarial situation, or at least it seems like it's been a completely adversarial uh, situation among the participants today.
0: As independent forges ahead in 2021 with new responsibilities and challenges, how can building a relationship with a co-op help pharmacies reach their goals and stay ahead of quickly shifting consumer and retail climates?
1: Another great question, Gabriel. Now, I'm biased uh, towards true cooperatives. I can tell you that. Having spent most of my career working for one, I really believe in the cooperative structure. If done correctly, the interest of the cooperative is essentially the interest of the members as a whole. The interests are aligned between the organization and the member, and it's not necessarily the same for for for-profit entities. In many for-profit company situations, those interests aren't necessarily the interest of the pharmacy, as there's a shareholder or shareholders and owners financial interest that must be considered in these type of entities. Now I'm not saying the for-profit entity is bad, it is what it is. Uh, one of our greatest strengths is that we are a cooperative of independent pharmacy owners. And one of our greatest weaknesses is we are a group of independent business owners and entrepreneurs that are accustomed to doing things individually and on their own. There's a place and time for that. And like I say to our members, play to your strengths. In this world of mega businesses and consolidation across most all platforms in healthcare. I asked them, how are you going to compete with product acquisitions, contracting, things of this nature, being a one or two pharmacy entity? I encourage the pharmacies to lend their strength to the cooperative where it can be aggregated and utilized not only for the sing- to the benefit of the single owner, but to the benefit of the entire membership. This is not to mention the multiple hat requirement of the independent pharmacy ownership. Can that owner Truly be the best at product acquisition, PBM health plan contracting, vendor negotiations, business analytics, marketing, property management, HR, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is where they can lean on the resources and expertise of the employees of the cooperative that work for their their company. It is their company. I encourage the pharmacy owner to partner with a cooperative that they have investigated, one they can trust, one that has integrity. One that puts the pharmacy's interest at the front of all priorities. Then embrace that individualism and that entrepreneurial nature in their local environment where it can shine. Doing things like networking with the prescribers or potential large customers like schools or businesses, et cetera. Or maybe it's the provision of clinical expertise or other aspects where that individualism delivers its true strengths.
0: Before we hop off today, what do you see as the three most important takeaways from our discussion?
1: Wow, Gabrielle, it it seems like we went over a lot of diverse topics to summarize it into three big takeaways, but here are the things that I will emphasize. We need some real fundamental changes to correct the illogical and broken reimbursement mechanisms being used today, including doing away with retrospective charges that do not permit a pharmacy to recognize its actual profit and loss for a prescription transaction at the time of the dispensing. Number two, I think independent pharmacies need to examine what they do best and amplify that. What their competitors could likely do best and attempt to counter that or minimize its benefits when they are being compared to it. And this does include being digitally competent and preferably even excelling digitally in this electronically connected world. And then lastly, I encourage the pharmacy owner to partner with a cooperative they have investigated, one they can trust, one that has integrity, one that puts the pharmacy's interest at the front of all priorities. Then embrace and utilize that individualism and that entrepreneurial nature in the local environment where it can shine.
0: Thanks for listening to Over the Counter. For more episodes, check out drugtopics.com. Under our Media tab, click Podcasts.